Set a spark to your integrated business and marketing strategies with America's top entrepreneurs and business leaders here at Integrate and Ignite with your host, Lori Jones. Welcome to the Integrate and Ignite podcast, directly from the floor of NetSuite 2019. My guests today are John and Gila Kurtz, co-founders of Dog Is Good. Dog Is Good is a lifestyle brand for dog lovers. In addition to selling wholesale and retail products, all of which celebrate the unique joy of living with dog, the company licenses the brand to numerous manufacturers in the pet, gift, and home product industries. Moreover, Dog Is Good has developed a reputation for generously giving back to animal welfare organizations. Today, we are going to talk about all things e-commerce and hear all about John and Gila's journey that ultimately helped them establish one of the most popular e-commerce brands today. Welcome to Integrate and Ignite. Thank you. We're excited to be here. Well, tell us more about your story. Well, John and I, several years ago, as John would like to say, we realized... We met 30 years ago. I'm going to start with that. Nice. Because we actually celebrated our 30th anniversary here yesterday. Congratulations. Yes. And, you know, we do get a lot of questions about working together as a husband and wife team. But what we did recognize many years ago when we first came up with the idea for Dog is Good was that there was something brewing in the marketplace with consumers, with the dog lovers in particular, the humanization of pets, so to speak. Right. And um, as a professional dog trainer, I was living that lifestyle already. I understood uh, the role of pets as, as our babies. And I was seeing that more and more with the clients that I was working with. And when I went to a particular education conference for professional dog trainers, I saw a booth there with apparel, uh, just plain blank white t-shirts, all saying the same thing. I love my, and then fill in the blank, right. you know, whatever you breed. But I knew, uh, quite honestly, because of this humanization of pets, because of how we felt about them, that it was more than just that. Right. And when I just came home from the conference casually discussing it with John, he said, you know, there really is nothing out there in this niche, something for the pet lover. And so why don't we just do it? And given the type of people that we are, we just did it. You we rolled just, up your sleeves yeah, and, and let's hear you are today, yes. you know, talking about it. And, mm -hmm. and you're such an inspiration to so many entrepreneurs that are here. You have taken that pet passion and you've turned it into a business. Mm -hmm. uh, your mom, your dad, your CEO, your you know, you've got all these roles uh, within the business. How do you juggle it all? That's a good question, but we... And we're know, trying we, to figure we, it out every day, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, we, we, yeah. Yeah, we, we, man we managed to do it and certainly set priorities. You know, we have, we have one child. She's now 21, but she basically was, you know, with us the, the whole way 10. along. But we you made know, it a priority to do everything that, you know, never missed her events. And right. Just sequence things that needed to be done, and it certainly. I don't. I don't know the people who are solo entrepreneurs yeah. who are taking on something big. Not not solopreneur in the sense of I'm going out and I'm getting clients, which, which could be a difficult in itself. But the number of moving parts that we yeah. have, we divvy it up based on our innate talents. That's great. But how other people do it and still manage. Now that's the challenge. And I, I think for women in particular, we put a lot of, it's a lot of self-imposed pressure right. to be all things to everybody at one time. And really, there, to me, there is no such thing as balance. Mm -hmm. Whatever you're focused on, both John and I do focus solely on being present in that space and doing what we need to be doing and not worrying about should we be doing something else. But when we are focused on the family and or play or other things, 
we're there. I mean, I think the real challenge comes in for people is when they're in one spot, but feeling like their attentions are going to, well, I should be doing this. Right. You should only be doing what you're doing right in that moment. The, the you other, know, we're so lucky, yeah. aren't we? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we are. But the, the other piece about the work-life balance is, you know, basically you're going to be spending eight hours a day for most people at work. You're going to be spending eight hours of sleep and there's another eight hours. Well, it shouldn't really just be that eight hours because that eight hours of work, it's not necessarily always work. There's something that should be inspiring you. It's a, it's a very important part of your life. It's not really just work. It has to be fulfilling something else. Right. If you had another eight hours to do nothing, what would you be doing with that? Would it be another eight hours with the family all day? Or would it be just something else that's not, you know what I mean? Right. It just kind of needs to be a part of you. Yeah, it's, to me, it's all about knowing what you want and how you want to live your life and just ensuring that you're building your business as part of your life. It's such a beautiful place to be in, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, entrepreneurialism is fa fabulous and I think family entrepreneurialism is even that much better. Um, my father and I worked together for 25 years. Yeah. And it, I mean, it was phenomenal until he retired four years ago. Mm. And we had other family members um, that some of them got their start in the business and went on to do other things, but it was, you know, being able to take that mindset and grow a team around you that has that family mindset as well is really, I mean, it creates that more cohesive culture. Talk to us a little bit about the culture that you have at the business. I think so. And I'm really proud of what John and I have done to create the kind of culture that we wanted. Mm -hmm. We have a sentiment in our brand called Never Walk Alone. It's not where you walk, it's who walks with you. And although that was initially inspired by the pets that we have by our side, we really are intentional about the kinds of people that we bring on board into our dig family and the types of qualities and work ethic that they have and how to incorporate them into our work environment. And as a culture, we are very focused on infusing what our brand is about, right. which is how great you feel when you're with your dog. Mm -hmm. And that should be part of how we interact with each other too, that each employee, when they are there, should feel as though they have just interacted with the resident Labrador that mm -hmm. runs up and down the halls every single day. And then we want to make our customers feel the same. That's just part of our culture. And to that, we work on their personal and professional development um, every single day. That's fantastic. And you don't get to where you're going and where you are without great, great strategy and uh, truly a business mindset and ultimately the ability to implement a very, very strong idea. We know that good strategy starts with competitive dif differentiation, positioning, and, and great messaging, which you have. What process have you deployed to develop a market position and a brand that truly continues to differentiate and build top of mind awareness? I think there's several questions in that question. <laughs> we can break it down any way yeah, you want. I will say that we're we're pretty thoughtful mm -hmm. about anything that we that we do that we're going to roll out, and we also understand that most of the things that we're going to do don't need to be perfect, mm -hmm. and that they can that that we can continue to evolve them as we roll them out. We're going to improve them. You can't take you can't suck the risk out of everything, right? Right. Maybe you can suck the risk out of finance the financial piece by pre-selling something or making sure you have commitments but nothing's gonna be perfect right away. And just decide which ones really need. Okay, we're not gonna roll out a website that has horrible photography because that's why, that's easily right. fixed. 
But some of the other capabilities, yeah, we don't have them yet. Well, we'll you know, we can schedule that in. We'll, we'll do that. Well, I plus, think as you go through, uh, you, 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 learn. You, you learn and you see where you can course correct. Mm -hmm. And by being flexible in that capacity, you have the ability to course correct and be nimble and make pivots where needed. To kind of answer part of your question and being thoughtful with how we're doing things, we do have processes in place. We go through, we, we've got a process to make sure that when we come up with an idea, well, there's a litmus test. Is it a viable idea? Does, does it fit the brand? Right. And we've got kind of criteria for that. And then we've got a check sheet of all these things that need to be done, even if it's just coming out with a message on a t-shirt as opposed to turning on manufacturing for something, there's about 30, 40, 50 things. Right. That, right, everything from, from the initial concept of what's the art and messaging look like to pre-marketing, you know, drafting email blasts to, right. to launch it out way, way down the line after all of these things, you know, electrical property, check, you know, whatever. Just well, so many things. And you probably didn't start out with that list. You learned along right. the way that, wait, we Absolutely. need to, mm -hmm. you know, to, to have a better checklist. So the marketing today, I'm sure, has changed drastically from the marketing from day one. Mm -hmm. Can you reflect on us some, mm -hmm. um, and share some of those differences? Our, I think our, it's not so much as the marketing has shifted. I mean, we, we wanted to build a brand that was around the dog lover to begin with. And that comes from building community and really tapping into the heart of who this person is and what are they about? How do they live their lives and why are dogs such a big part of that? And uh, creating campaigns and messaging that really speaks to who they are. I think that the way that we get our products into marketplace has definitely shifted over the years. We see that uh, we are not, or that we're that we can be everywhere. There, right. Every vertical of retail or distribution channels is a place for us because dog lovers are everywhere. Whether it's in um, uh, outdoor retail or gifts or resort, etc., and through all the different licensees that we have uh, that have distribution in their own channels, it just opens the door to a number of things. But I really am excited about creating a movement around the message and the opportunities that the message brings for the dog lovers, both from a personal standpoint, for, you know, for them personally, but also for those who seek opportunities in the pet space as well as an opportunity. Well, and I'm sure you wake up sometimes and you just kind of pinch yourself over some of the channels that you truly are in. I mean, some of the retail um, environments that you're in are, are substantial and, and very exciting. Um, share some of those uh, areas with us, and then let's talk a little bit about some of the innovative approaches that you're utilizing right now with pop-up. Mm -hmm. Okay, do you want to talk retail channel and I'll talk pop-ups? Yeah, as Gila said, there's just an, an infinite um, number of verticals that, that we can be in. That's good news and bad news. Mm -hmm. The good news is there's a lot of opportunity, the bad news is pick one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, can't, we can't be all things to, right. to all of them. But because we have a pretty robust licensing program at this point, we have licensees that can sell into all socioeconomic strata from off price to, you know, up to, to Nordstrom and across all these different verticals. So although it's not our core product that we cause to be manufactured, but something our licensee, our licensees do, the brand, and that's what we're doing, we're building a brand. The product is just the conveyance of right. the message. We've got product in 3,500 advanced auto parts stores and pillows in Nordstrom and Grandin Road. Mm -hmm and all 
manner of things in between. So it's it's kind of infinite, but we focus on what we need to focus on, let the licensees do, do their magic. Because as long as we're building a brand in total, then that's that's where we need to be, thinking about the brand. Right. And those retail verticals are like outdoor retailer, gift, pet stores, resort, drug stores, pharmacies, hardware stores, coffee shops. Right. Yeah, it's it's amazing where the product can go. There's something for every retailer. And you've really been able to diversify that product mix based on what a particular channel may need as well. Exactly. And a lot of product concepts and development are based on that, creating specifically to those verticals. Well, and I have to say, you can't do that with a lot of brands. Your brand is so strong, um, and it is so relatable to millions upon millions of people out there that you you have that luxury. Right. Yeah. Right. That that's that's the strength of the brand. So yeah. It, you, know, you talked about the integration of marketing and this and that, and it all starts with the vision and where you want to go. So as a brand, in you know, kind of in in short way of saying it, our vision is to be to the dog lover what Harley Davidson is to the motorcycle enthusiast, top of mind for all things product, service, and experience. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a brand building vision. And it, it, sure puts us, it puts us into everything. Right. If you were to ask it, if you ask a person what's their favorite motorcycle, they're probably going to say Harley Davidson. If you say, if you ask the dog lover, other than a dog food brand, what's your favorite brand for the dog lover? No one can answer that because the space is not occupied mm -hmm. until, until we reach our vision. Right. Well, and you're doing that. Yeah. One of the ways and the easiest way that we're finding to, to really make that happen is through this opportunity that we started about 18 months ago. Although small components of it were present for many years with our company, the Dog is Good pop-up shop concept as a, an exhibitor you know, at events, we really turned that into a business opportunity for other like-minded dog lovers. And through that, we just feel very grateful that we're in a position to help people generate revenue and a business, whether it's a side hustle or, um, you know, medium uh, revenue streams for them or full-time income. These are people who want a business for themselves and yet they're not in business by themselves. By using our brand, our support, our sales and marketing strategies, we can onboard them and make, they are part of a, a really tight community and incredibly supportive and so it's really exciting to see what's happened just in 18 months for these people. It is. I mean, it's such a smart way to really amplify the brand. I mean, they become ambassadors, right? And that's I mean, exactly, yes. And, and when you've got ambassadors that live and breathe and care so much mm -hmm. about how the brand makes them feel, you know, that referral, that amplification just becomes that much larger and larger and larger. Let's uh, talk a little bit more about some of the marketing strategies that you're deploying. I would imagine content. Um, is a very, very important, you know, important channels for you. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about some of the um, things that you're doing there and maybe some tips on what other entrepreneurs could learn from utilizing that as a channel. Yeah, I, I think that social media, there's strictly content and then there's a social media mix or kind of crossover right. with content. And I think one of the things that we learned is you can't do all social media when you're a small company like mm -hmm. us. So which ones were you going to drop? So we, we had right. to decide. You won't find us doing much, if anything, on Twitter, for example. Right. We focus specifically where our demographic lies, and that is Facebook and Instagram. Mm -hmm. We do also have a really nice growing Pinterest 
presence anything as well. photography yeah. right yeah. i mean anything dog photography. photos make yeah. us happy exactly. <laughs> and, and, exactly. and everything we do is a combination of the document connection and that's mm. where we also differentiate we yes we love the dog but what we really are about is that dog human bond and the positive effects that each have on the other and so the imagery and the stories and the lifestyle um uh, shared experiences that people go yes that's mm -hmm. me i do that too or that is my life these are the kinds of uh stories campaigns collaborations that we do with other companies contests we do a lot of live events through our Facebook where we're engaging people. We have a lifestyle show where we bring content that's of great value to the dog lover, dog owner, and we make them part of the community. It's a tribe. It's a movement. It is a tribe. And, yeah. and when you've got that affinity, they end up developing half your content for you. Right. Yes. Um, you know, and it's not too often where you might need to push a piece off. I mean, they're so ingrained in the brand right. that they're talking for you. It, exactly. So much so that even yesterday we received photography of somebody who tattooed, tattooed the logo. The logo oh my goodness, yes. I love it. <laughs> now you know. I mean, yes. right, to mention Harley, I mean, how many people out there have Harley yes. <laughs> tattoos, right? Now, there you go. Yeah, you are winning. <laughs> how has e-commerce changed your business strategy? With all that we're doing, we can't do everything all yeah, at once. No. And what I found was that we were, I think, I'm not, not an expert, I'm just looking at the numbers. We're getting priced out of doing pay-per-click. Mm -hmm. And more and more I'm hearing the same story from small business people. I had no idea how expensive it was going to be to start an online store. Right. So we're counting on driving traffic, e-commerce traffic, not by doing pay-per-click, but just any other method, driving through content, driving from Instagram and that sort of thing. Right. So the, the, the e-commerce has been has been a challenge. So we, we have our own, we have dogisgood.com. We also have an Amazon presence. I don't think anyone, anyone that owns a brand, I think can feel pretty safe on Amazon because they control the price as long as they're the only one selling the product and mm -hmm. as long as they can keep their IP intact, they, they should be good. But our pricing is the same. Right. So no one feels threatened by that. Well, and it needs to be. And, and I think for most companies out there that have any kind of e-commerce presence anymore, mm -hmm. it's not about if Amazon will be a part of your sales strategy. It's what part of the product line will, will utilize Amazon exactly. be, because it's a starting point. I mean, what we find with the Amazon sales strategies is a lot of people might be introduced to the brand there, but then they will go to the website yes. and purchase additional product or go to an event, you know, whatever it might be. So it truly does become a great entry point for a lot of brands. And I think I was just going to add real fast on the challenge of e-commerce. Uh, why are this business opportunity model that we've created, it's getting back to basics. It's going direct to the mm -hmm. consumer. It's, it's giving them an opportunity to touch, feel, and experience your brand um, in first person. And that uh, is a pivot and a shift that we've taken as a result of, yes, growth of online business and the challenges that face it. That's great. So in-house technology can be very mind-boggling, and NetSuite makes it easy. Talk to us about some of the in-house technology services and the, maybe some of the challenges that you've experienced um, that ultimately brought you uh, to an area that you knew technology could solve. Right. We migrated to NetSuite and did our implementation towards the end of 2000, end of 2012. Now that set six and a half or seven years ago is like a thousand years, right? Right. It, so much, so much has changed. But prior to, to going on to NetSuite, we were 
QuickBooks users, like every other small business, we had QuickBooks. We couldn't manage inventory well on spreadsheets, and we had um, used to be a company Pro Stores, which was a, a web platform. So we had Pro Stores website. Didn't talk to QuickBooks mm. at that point. No one talked to QuickBooks. Right. There were none of these APIs available. There were none of these integration tools that now are just everywhere, and no one even thinks twice about it. But they didn't exist. So we needed to find a solution when it became untenable to just keep up with things. Right. So how do you get it? How do you get it from the spreadsheet into QuickBooks effectively? And we had a B2B, it's kind of a website. It was more like an apparel branding thing, and that didn't work out well. So NetSuite was able to, we were able to get everything all into one spot and get everything to talk to each other. Which really helps the customer experience, right? Mm -hmm. um, you're able to deliver, you, you know exactly what, how much product you have, where it is, uh, how it can be delivered. And when you've got not just the direct sales off mm -hmm. e-commerce, but you've got you know, these, all these pop-up shops that are also expecting product to be delivered in, you know, in obviously a different way, um, it becomes vital to the health of the business. It, Completely. It, yeah. it does. And with our, B, our B2B website is still a NetSuite product. Our B2C, we, we moved away and now it's, it's WooCommerce mapped in. But the B2B is great because the customers can also log in. They have a customer center mm -hmm. and they can, they see exactly what they have outstanding. So they can manage their dog is good account. Right. Online to a, to a certain degree as well. And sometimes they catch us, hey, you didn't apply a credit memo that I, mm -hmm. that I see here. You know, it's like, yeah, you're right. We didn't. <laughs> you know, it probably that. popped up, but we ignored it. You know, so there's all of these things. It does. It absolutely, it absolutely helps the customer. So when a customer calls in, we can look at, boom, click a click button. There's, there's all their previous orders and whatever. Here's their back orders that are outstanding, and it's all it, accessible right there. It enhances right. our ability to be um, provide them with the exceptional customer care, which is a big value mm -hmm. of ours at the company. Well, I tell you, John Aguila Kurtz, you are doing something right. Thank you so much mm -hmm. for your inspiration today. I, I love something that you said earlier in the show. Never walk alone. It's not where you walk. It's who walks alongside you. Thank you so much for your appearance on the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Thank you. This episode is complete, but the inspiration has just begun. Head over to avocetcommunications.com for show notes and more aha moments. Tune in regularly to ignite your integrated business and marketing strategies with Lori Jones and the Integrate and Ignite podcast.